Yeah, yeah. Uh. Underrated, underrated, we the underdogs, underestimated. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Totem Podcast. Like always, we got Eric here with us today. How's it going? If you guys want us to, to keep bringing on guests on this on this show, you know, just make sure to subscribe to our channel and make sure to hit the bell for notifications. That way you can be notified every time we bring a, a new guest on and have another episode up. And we're on, on YouTube and Spotify, all as the Totem Podcast. Cool. So, yeah, we've been bringing you guys uh, guests in different fields. But this guest, I think, is a very important one because I think this is where it all starts. We can't be able to build stuff and do different stuff if we don't have this right. So today, help us and welcome uh, Dr. Sam McDonald. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate, yeah. appreciate you for, for having a little drive to come out and visit us. Absolutely. I'm excited. I love doing podcast work like this and love just getting the message out. So hey, any chance I can get, I'm jumping at it. So thank you for having me on, both you guys. Yeah, so so for people who don't know like really who you are, what you do, can you just give like a brief explanation? Absolutely, yeah. So I am the clinical director of a neurologically based chiropractic office with my wife. The office name is Wild and Precious Optimal Living. So again, we are brain-focused chiropractic. So the whole soul and the whole experience and whole focus in our office is optimal neurological function and expression. So everything we do is all about the brain, it's all about the nervous system, and it's all about helping people to function at their best. Cool, cool. So, so kind of, uh, if you can take it back a little bit, like. Tell me a little bit, like how you got started, or mm -hmm. because I knew you were somewhere else before you came to Colorado, right? So, it's like, how what brought you here, and then how did you get started, pretty much doing this? Yeah, absolutely. So, I grew up going to a chiropractor, um, old sports injury way back in the day when I was in grade school. I was playing football on that old school astroturf, you know, rolled my ankle and sprained it and damaged it to the point so bad where I almost couldn't walk and was dragging on for weeks and weeks. I'm literally dragging my foot around the house. My mom just finally got tired of seeing that. A friend of hers recommended seeing this chiropractor. I had no clue what it was. I was in like sixth grade at the time. She takes me, this guy adjusts my ankle and this loud like pop goes off almost like a shotgun sound. And I just remember swinging my legs off the table. I stand up and for the first time in weeks, um, I'm standing without pain. I had no clue what this guy just did. I'm like, what did you, what did you do to me? This is incredible. And I could walk and I could play sports again and everything, you know, my life, was returned and restored. And from that moment, I was kind of hooked. I didn't really, again, innately and didn't really, I didn't really know what it was about, but innately I knew this was something that I needed in my life. And continued to go throughout the rest of my football career in high school, you know, concussions. I had multiple concussions, uh, multiple other kinds of injuries, those kind of things, just nature of the sport. And it just became part of my life. Fast forward after, you know, undergrad through a brief career in the corporate world. I come back to chiropractic. I went to a school in Dallas, Texas called Parker. That's where I met my wife. We moved back out here to Colorado because she's born and raised here. She's from Aurora. And from that point, we opened our, we did a, did a couple of associateships kind of along the way. And we started our practice now that was We've been in this space now since November of, this will be three years. So we've been doing this since then. Okay. So your wife's a doctor also, right? She's a chiropractor she, as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So is that your guys' main focus more like, because you said neurological, mm -hmm. is it like chiropractic or neurological? Like Both. What? 
Both? Yeah, so both. So traditional chiropractic, people think about, they hear, what they heard, they hear the term chiropractic, they think two things. They think back pain, they think neck pain, right? Someone's going to yeah. snap your neck like Bruce Lee or crack your back, and that's usually what we hear, right? It's like, hey, I want to go see a chiropractor. I threw my back out. Where should I go? I go to the chiropractor. That's the traditional old school sense. There's nothing wrong with it. Traditional chiropractic is mainly always focused on the spine and on the range of motion in the joints of the spine. But in our sense, neurologically focused, we're looking at the brain. And we're looking at the questions, okay, why do certain health problems and maladies happen? And what can we do to then correct these issues and areas that are, that are happening in the brain? So for example, let's just take something like vertigo in a sense. So vertigo, you're looking at issues in the balance centers of the brain. And we're looking at what areas or deficits are happening maybe from one side or the other. Because classical vertigo, what we see is you got three balance centers on each side of the brain. You got three on the right, three on the left. And what we'll see with people is usually what happens is there's one side that's running really, really high and one side that's running really, really low. And they have to keep each other in balance. Because if you turn your head to the right, what happens is your brain sends this electrical signal up there from a mechanical input and says, hey, I like, I just turn my head to the right. Or I just turn my head to the left. And what happens if you turn your head to the right, this side has to activate, but this side has to dampen and turn it off to keep it in balance. Otherwise, you're going to feel like you're spinning. So with vertigo, what we'll see with people is, hey, one side's running too high, one side's running too low. We get that back in check and balance, and all of a sudden, the dizziness that people experience, the wobbliness, the uneasiness starts to go away. So how, how does kind of like chiropractic work go with like the brain stuff? How does that, I mean, for the people that don't know like that process, like how? Yep, absolutely. So... Every joint in your body sends information up to your brain. It's a big fancy word we use. It's called proprioception. That's your doctor word for the day. All right. So if you're on Jeopardy, ask what's the sixth sense of the body. It's proprioception. Give me a call. <laughs> so proprioception is the sixth sense of the body, and every joint in your body is sending information up into your brain. So what happens is when joints stop moving in their full ranges of motion, they get locked or restricted. This is called a subluxation. In chiropractic, we call it a subluxation or a chiropractic subluxation or sometimes a vertebral subluxation. All those words are kind of the same. So every joint in your body sends information up to your brain. What happens is when a joint stops moving appropriately, now it starts to send bad information up to the brain. This is called nociception. Otherwise, people think about it as pain. This is where people think about, oh, my back hurts. I threw my back out or whatever. Okay, we have a joint that's not moving the way it's supposed to. It's sending bad information up to the brain. Over time, this bad information starts to put the brain out of balance because you have a right brain, you have a left brain. It all gets information up there into it. And when one side starts to get out of balance, now you start to get what's called dysautonomia. Dysautonomia is where the nervous system is now out of balance. So you have two different states of how you function. You have your fight or flight system. You have your relaxation system. Parasympathetic and sympathetic. So these are both states of how we operate every single day. You should be more in relaxation mode, parasympathetic mode, about 80% of the time, and more in relaxation mode, I'm sorry, more in stress mode about 20% of the time. Okay, so 80-20. And what happens is when you start to get this bombardment of bad information up to the brain, you have now this dysautonomia cascade where the brain goes into a stress mode because it's in defense mode. So is that kind of what creates kind of stress? That's what stress is. So stress is the result of what's left over after an event. Make sense? Yeah. So yeah, I'm right? so I, I just like to, I'm just thinking I'm processing mm -hmm. it. Yeah, but, so okay. you encounter a stressor in your life, whatever it may be. It can be a physical stressor. It can be something like a car accident. It can be something as you know, subtle as how you hold your body every day. You have physical stress. You have chemical stress, which is everything that you put into your body. And you have emotional stress, which is probably the most damaging and the biggest one. Right? So emotional stress, we think of like our our family life, our relationships, 
what we're thinking about, our, our job, all that kind of stuff. And that's really, really important because of how our brain works and develops. And if I don't get back to this, remind me, we'll get back to that part. So you have all this information coming into the brain that causes this dysautonomia piece, which is going to throw the body out of balance. And over time, if you let this build and build and build, imagine a body being stressed every single day, right? You're in this stuck in this stress mode where your brain is perceiving you're feeling like you're being chased by a tiger every single day, right? You think you're going to be healthy or you're going to be sick? Yeah, you're probably going to be sick. sick. There's going to be, it's going to be like a, a, a bomb, you know, it's just going to get so, so right. big before it just blows or exactly. something. Exactly. It's going to blow it. And, and depending on the person where the weak link is, that's where the symptoms are going to show up. So for somebody, if they have GI issues, if they're in a chronic stress state, if they have a weak gastrointestinal system, and when I say GI, I'm talking about stomach, you know, in large intestine, small intestine, basically everything you need to absorb and break down food. If that's the weak link, that's where you're going to show up. If you have issues with neck and movement in the neck, you're going to get headaches. If you have problems with being able to process chemicals out of your body and you start to develop pain everywhere, you're going to get fibromyalgia. If you have problems in terms of brain imbalance on one side or the other, you can have anxiety, depression, any of these sort of things. And then over time, what happens too is now you get what's called dyspinesis, which is an abnormal energy output where the body starts to then use way too much energy or not enough. And that's where you have the symptoms of things like mania, uh, chronic fatigue, those kind of things. So all of it okay. comes back down to stress. Yeah. How your body is processing things again, what's left over afterward. Because if you handle a situation appropriately in terms of how you adapt, that's the big key word. If you take away nothing else from today, two words are adaptability and resilience. So if you don't adapt appropriately, then your body is going to break down. If you don't have the resilience to handle the stressors in life, your body's going to break down. With that kind of going to, uh, appreciate you breaking all that down. Yep. But with all that kind of, like you're saying, it's the connection between your like your brain mm -hmm. and your joints and stuff. So me personally, I do every morning. Mm -hmm. I get up, like I'm half asleep, you know, I get some water and I do a stretch. Mm -hmm. It'll be like 10, 15 minutes. I don't know if that's actually good for me or not. I just feel better, you know, it helps me as I'm waking up mm -hmm. and kind of get, it's like a car, you know, you always turn it on, right. let it warm up before you start going 75 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of do a stretch. I don't know if it's beneficial or not, but I just kind of, it just kind of, re like you're saying, it kind of just relaxes me as I pretty much, I guess, turn my body on, like start stretching. Is that, is that good, you yeah, think? Absolutely. So the old adage, motion is life, right? So the more you're moving your body, the healthier you're going to be. And more importantly, the brain grows through movement. So you have to move yourself if you want to have a healthy brain. You have to move your body. And flexibility is something sorely lacking in our Western culture. So yeah, the fact that you're maintaining good fluidity and plasticity and all that. Yeah, absolutely. And I try, I try to do that more because mm -hmm. I mean, I have kids and you just see them and they just, they're so flexible. They can oh, get yeah. their, their head to their knee and all this. I'm like, and I'm not even close to that. So it's like, I guess the ways just to get back to it, because I think we lose it because we're all kids. We had that flexibility and we lost it. So that's why I try to do it. But then with that too, I kind of wanted your take, like what's the, you're talking about the brain and body connection. Mm -hmm. What's your take, like say a meditation stuff? Like, do you think that helps you kind of connect to your stuff or is that just? Or, or can it like help like relieve some of the stress too? Like, cause, cause uh, you know, like one of the symptoms is like stress is like losing hair, falling out of hair. Mm -hmm. Is that like one of the like more earlier onset kind of effects of stress or is it more down the line once you have like, um, like a, a longer period of, of like high stress situations. In terms of losing hair? Yeah, like is, do you think that it's like, is it like more early on in the phase of it or is it? 
think it can be. Um, I think it can be depending on the, the nutritional level of the human being and where they're at too because hair is going to be a byproduct of your, your nutritional intake and how and much you're absorbing as well. Vitamins, <clears throat> minerals, all those kind of things. Um, what was the first question? It was, uh, can, can, like, can like meditation help, mm-hmm. you know, with, with all that? Yes, it can for some people. Uh, I'm a big fan of meditation. Um, I, we have people do certain kinds of... Um, not necessarily meditation per se in the office, but mindfulness types of practices and those things. It can be helpful for some people, but for some it's not. So think about the the anxious person, right? And I struggled a little bit with this last night, uh, just those ruminating thoughts, right? You kind of get stuck in um, a case of stinking thinking, right? And you get caught a little bit of a, in a, of a negative cycle. Always happens right before you go to sleep. Exactly, on. right? So that's... Uh, <laughs> But with some people, you know, if they have, if their brain's kind of more pushed into that level at the moment, then meditation may not be the thing for them to do, so to speak. Like sit down, you know, and take the pose and do that. That's probably not the best thing for them to do at the moment. Because what's going to happen is they're just going to get stuck in that ruminating cycle of thought patterns and you're just going to keep reliving it. And you're going to keep reliving it. And you're just keep, you know, going through that over and over and over again. And that's a problem because, and I'll get, now we're back to this point here. Our brains are very different from every other species on the planet because of this front part right above your eyebrows here. It's called your frontal lobes. It's your experience simulator. Right? So you can experience things in the future without ever really having to do it. Right? So always think about this example. Imagine getting a delicious ice cream that tastes like liver and onions. Delicious, huh? Delicious. delicious. <laughs> you guys didn't think about that for a second. You guys both made the same face. Like, oh, that sounds awful. Why? Have you guys ever had liver and onion ice cream? Never. No. Never. But you can imagine experience, yeah. the experience of what that would taste like. And that's what your frontal lobes allow you to do, is that you can imagine things in the future and predict and be able to you know, think that through of what could happen in the future. And other animals cannot do this. So is that kind of connected kind of with the consciousness too? Like it's the, the experience too that the, a lot of other animals don't have is the consciousness. Correct. Yeah, so it's kind of the gift and the curse of the human of the human brain is that we can experience things and we can predict things. So you can do amazing things with it, right? That's why we've been able to build houses and you know equipment to do podcasts and all these amazing things that our, our uh, species has achieved. But at the same time, it can also be a negative because then we can again we can get stuck in these these awful thought processes and these things that really drag us down like oh this what happens if this awful thing happens well then this awful thing happens and this awful thing happens and you just keep going down this path and now you're stuck in this anxiety and depression loop no yeah mm-hmm. for sure yeah that's good it just gets me it gets me thinking about the <laughs> stuff how, how it goes uh I, I wanted to get your take on uh define i mean i personally sometimes i get kind of confused with it mm-hmm. Dementia and Alzheimer's. Yeah. What's, what's going on in the brain with each different one, or, or what's the difference? Uh, so a lot of research is still being done on both, but in terms of just basic definitions, so dementia is kind of the umbrella term of cognitive decline, and then Alzheimer's is a specific disease manifestation subset of that. Now, Alzheimer's is like the most prevalent form of dementia, and it's characterized by um, beta amyloid plaques in the brain and don't ask me to go too much into detail on those but in a nutshell basically think of um, all these protein chains that should be nice like smooth orderly fashions they get tangled into like a big knot and that's what you'll see a lot in these brains of people with Alzheimer's and they have these things here no one really yet, we don't really know yet why this happens uh, but it does for people that experience that and a, a big expression of Alzheimer's is the cognitive decline piece and on some of that is it like 
uh, some of it is going to be reversible or you kind of start going down that path and it just gets worse as it goes? Depends how far we've gone down. Now with Alzheimer's, there's um, new technologies and things that's what they're trying to do to be able to reverse it. I don't think anyone's cracked the code yet, so to speak. Um, some stem cell therapy and those kind of things I think is what they're looking at to be able to do that. Again, no huge results that I've seen yet have come from it. Um, in terms of with dementia, depends how far down the road you've gone. From what I've seen in personal practice and with other mentor practices and things out there, to a certain extent, yeah, it can be reversed. And there's seven stages in dementia. Uh, pretty much once you get to the stage five, you've gone too far and there's really nothing that can be done. Um, four and below that, there is possibility of it being reversed, assuming that the person's willing to do the work to be able to do it. Okay, so you mess, you mentioned stem cells. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, you put stem cells, like say people got bad knees, they mm -hmm. put it, they give them a shot of their knees. How, yep. How's it for brain? Do they give them a shot of the brain or how's it? I think it's more of an IV drip or I'm not sure exactly how they pierce the blood brain barrier there. Uh, it's I think it's more through what's called exosomes and a different kind of stem cell technology. I don't know too much about it, but from what I understand, I mean, they use it a lot for, um, especially down in, I think it's Panama, the Reardon Clinic is probably the world's leading authority on this stuff, where they're using it a lot for uh, neurodevelopmental issues, you know, autism, uh, fatal drownings, those kind of things. They're using it for that, to be able to, re to regrow brain tissue. Um, it's amazing stuff. I mean, our temporal lobes, and we, we have all natural stem cells in our body. I mean, our temporal lobes right here, the part of the brain you use to listen, uh, that part of the brain has a ton of stem cell colonies there to be used to regrow stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might be getting a little bit in the weeds, but what do you think about that, that they just, you're just able to do it in Panama? Like, I think it's amazing. Yeah. If they're, if they're having breakthrough cases there and seeing literally people be restored and get their lives back, I think it's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's a shame that more stuff like that isn't. That's limited take advantage in the u.s but that's mainly because of the way our healthcare system's set up and unfortunately the way that uh, we're so um stuck in the pharmaceutical model so so going back to kind of like the because you, you said if it was like too far along like for alzheimer's or dementia it's kind of lost cause i guess um yeah is, is there anything like people could do to like maybe like slow it down or anything that, so it's not like keeps going down like that quickly or anything mm -hmm. yeah big time so there's several things you can do so um dementia and cognitive decline is not a short-term disease process they're talking we're talking about something that's been building for years and possibly decades so it's the end result of a process and it's the end result of your lifestyle choices and the way that you've been living so things that you can do if you want to slow down and or potentially reverse your dementia and cognitive decline uh, one is clean up your diet so Inflammation is one of the biggest detriments to destroying the brain. So if you're a person who chronically eats fast food, cut that out. Right? You need to get a, you know, depending on the diet that's going to be preferred for you. If you're a vegetarian, obviously go that route. If you're more of an omnivore, go that route. Um, I think probably the most balanced thing that most people can approach is paleo. You know, people, when people ask about, hey, what's the best diet? Like plants and animals. You know, just keep it really simple. Just keep it more natural, just not so much processed stuff, yeah. I guess. That's As little processed. If it comes in a box or a bag, you probably don't want to eat it. Just, so. You can tell right when you go to the grocery stores. If you shop in the middle aisles, that's where all the processed stuff. Yeah, if you go on the thing. border, I mean, that's where not natural, that's where all not 100% natural, but that's where all the fruits, vegetables, meats, that's where everything's. Yeah. Or in my grocery store, it's all just on the left-hand side. There you go. I'll just go and go to the left and it's in the part you can hang out at. Processed. What's, what's kind of crazy, I mean, kind of going off subject, mm -hmm. is that that area is usually way smaller compared to the whole store. 
Well, yeah, because the I think they they say the price margins there are so much lower than on everything else. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's a whole different topic. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, to be able to reverse that, one, make sure you clean up your diet. So cutting out sugars, processed foods, uh, fake oils, all that kind of stuff. So like fake fats and those kind of things. So basically, you know, you need to be eating um, coconut, olive, um, avocado, beef tallow, you know, animal fats, lards, that kind of stuff. stuff. Yeah. You know, things you guys, as we talked about the other day, you were talking about being able to kill animals on your farm, the other stuff from there, um, that kind of stuff is what you need to be eating, right? Natural foods coming from the earth. So that's, that's step one. Step two, you got to be able to move your body. Like you talked about movement, movement drives the brain. Movement grows the brain. The brain grows through movement. I can't say that enough. Super important. So you got to be able to move every single day. And aerobically is great because you're going to oxygenate the body and aerobically is great because you're going to develop more mitochondrial function and everything else so doing both strength training to increase bone density and also be able to drive more brain growth there too all of it but you have to move every single day those two things right there will help you prevent it more than anything else and what about like because a lot of people probably listening right now or, or they listen to you talk about it they're like I'm like, I don't have dementia because I'm what I'm 28 and I don't have dementia is there a certain type like they, it can be like, because uh, I've seen, I've been to your office, you guys have a lot of cool equipment mm-hmm. that you can be able to maybe detect something at a, like earlier stage, like, or, or not really till you're there. Um, usually it's going to be like memory tests and uh, subjective questionnaires and those kind of things. There's not necessarily a, um, you know, like a, a blood test or something like that to detect it. But you, know, you can do cognitive assessment profiles that can look at and see and test your memory and see, like, hey, well, how well can you remember short-term, you know, things like that? What's your working memory like? How well can you remember long-term things? And you can use those as pre- and post-baselines. We'll do stuff like that with people to be able to check and see what's your progress at and really how well are you progressing the right way or, or you know, if somebody's just doing a test, come in a year later and see has it changed. And sometimes you'll see it accelerates and those kind of things too. So yeah, you can you can do kind of those types of tests to be able to track it and monitor it. Um, but in terms of levels, yeah, like somebody who's 20 says, I don't have dimension Alzheimer's. And it's like, all right, well, what we do in the office with people is we'll check smell because smell is one of the le- leading indicators for somebody who has dementia and Alzheimer's. Reason for that is smell fires into the temporal lobes of the brain. Those are your primary memory centers of the brain where the hippocampus is. And that's where your brain's going to store information. So if we check smell, and I'll test this on certain people, and hey, somebody who comes in was 27 years old, couldn't smell on the right side. Peppermint, essential oil, super strong. You know, I open up the cap, and I can smell it you know, from holding it an arm's length away. I can smell it from there. Hold up your nose, they can't tell me what it is. Okay, well, now we know we have an issue with what's happening in that side of the brain because that smell fires into there. You were telling me about some process, that, like some studies that were going on, right, that they were saying like with laser, something like that, you know, for people that had like... Uh, from COVID that didn't get their smell back or taste or something like that, was it? Um, I don't know about certain studies. I mean, we use laser therapy in the office to restore taste and smell with uh, post-COVID symptoms. So, yeah, we've seen really good okay. success with that. Mm-hmm. And is that just with laser, you say? Mm-hmm. Just with laser therapy, yeah. So we actually have, I got a video on the YouTube page. So for those out there, Wild Precious Optimal Living on YouTube, we've got a testimonial video up there. I just show walking through the process of working with this lady who had um, no smell and her taste, everything tasted like metal. So anything she ate tasted metallic, which is really wild. Um, but yeah, did that with her. And I don't really understand the whole mechanism of what's happening with it. As far as I can understand, it just seems like those neural pools there are under functioning 
And laser, basically what we're doing is we're, as, as we're working with people, we're stimulating these neural pathways and then lasering is going to stabilize that. It's going to provide energy to the, to the neuronal pools and it's going to allow them to then function again. So they're like asleep and pretty much what you're doing is kind of waking them up a little bit and just kind of put... As far as I can understand, yeah. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Just just like in English terms for us because for I think you're... <laughs> yep. It's more did, technical. Did, did you guys like kind of like discover that or, does it, or is it like from, from someone else that discovered it and then you guys just started practicing it? Well, the concepts were taught to us by the, um, the doctors that just, you know, that founded the laser company. So everything we, we do with laser in the office is all about this process called co-activation. So we're activating a certain area. So again, anything in our office, when we're working with people, we're looking at areas of the brain that are not functioning well. And we're gonna activate those certain areas in the brain, and then we're gonna put laser on top of it to stabilize that, because laser does a lot of different things. Two most important things, it provides energy into the area, so it allows those neurons to stabilize and heal. And two, it also increases blood flow in what's called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is needed for the brain to change. So when your brain changes and the brain is, has this plasticity, it's called neuroplasticity, that's your brain's ability to learn and change and grow. So think about, you know, you guys have young kids now, so over there, are they riding bikes yet? Yeah, I don't have any kids. No? Yeah. Okay. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, I have a, a daughter. Yeah, okay. she rides bikes. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a period in her life where she's trying to learn how to ride a bike and she can't quite get it right. Uh -huh. And yeah. then there's just that one moment where like, bam, she gets it. I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the brain finally getting that neuron pathway to fire. And now her brain has changed forever because she's now, unless, God forbid, you know, traumatic brain injury, she's going to know how to ride a bike for the rest of her life. Which is amazing because our brain learn how to grow and change and do that. And that's called neuroplasticity. That's our ability to learn and, and do things. Just like driving a car. At one point you didn't know how to drive a car. Then you were really terrible at it. And then you got it because your brain learns. So how important is it for just, we say it in kids because that's where we see it the fastest. Mm -hmm. But for just an adult to keep, to be, to keep challenging themselves to keep learning something. Because mm -hmm. like you said, it's the brain function to keep it. It's like a muscle you never work it out it's never gonna go exactly. so like the brain to keep doing it because we say just kids but it's like when you're a kid like i have a baby right now if he can't walk you're not just gonna tell him you've been trying to walk too long you're not you're never gonna walk mm -hmm. you know so it's like keep training your brain like how central do you think that is to your i guess that people should be doing like even at an adult age yeah i mean throwing it back to our previous conversation if we're talking about warding off dementia and alzheimer's then it's huge yeah constantly be using your brain and learning it every day that old saying if you don't use it, you lose it is 100% true. Everything in the, every area in the brain is prime real estate. So if you don't use something, your brain's gonna take it over for something else. So if you wanna get really good at looking at your phone and scrolling Instagram and all that kind of thing all day, then by all means do it. If you wanna get really good at developing yourself and learning things, then you gotta put in the effort and the work and time to do that. And you're gonna get better at it. You're gonna get better and better and better the more you do it. Yeah, so, so the best like, I guess for, for just from here, you talk like the best preventative measures for Alzheimer's dementia, even other diseases that happen later on. Mm -hmm. It's to start when you're younger yep. and just taking care of your body, Absolutely. taking care of what goes in your body, like what you're eating, and then also just moving your body and then just being aware of like what's actually going on and how it's going to affect you down the line. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's really hard, right? Because there's no really reward in that. There's no, um, you know, reversal of something or there's just... As our culture, we just don't put a lot of emphasis and a lot of uh, value in prevention um, outside of maybe going to the dentist. So, yeah, there's, it's just hard for a lot of people to do. It's like, I'll just, I'll just, whatever, it's not going to happen to me or I'll just deal with it when it happens. Well, it's like, well, at that point, it's too late. So, yeah, yeah. if you take care of yourself earlier on, 
you're going to have much better chances for either overcoming this stuff or preventing it in the entire first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what that's the thing. It's like people, the best way for people to learn is with through pain mm-hmm. because people don't want to, you know. And even then, like you said, the dentist, they usually start going because they're either the teeth are a little ugly or a little crooked or something or something starts hurting. Exactly. And it's yeah. like, why do we wait for something to break before we try to, you know, fix it? We mm-hmm. can do something so it never breaks, but... I mean, so so how would you recommend for people to go visit you like earlier on just to see how they're doing or or is it kind of just like just wait, get like wait till something hurts just to get like a, you know, a test sooner or something like that or something i mean I if know. they wanted to absolutely but i mean unfortunately like i said just in our in our culture in our society it just doesn't work that way it's usually until something has manifested that they need to get rid of um, and it'd be great if people could use us as um, to get something that they want but they don't have versus to get rid of something that they have and they don't want. But that's just um, that's just really how our society works. And that's just, there's no, um, in, in how the brain too, there's no really hard motivation. There's no drive there in, in the positive direction. So typically, like I said, what we see in our office, the majority of stuff that we see, um, especially now, is mental health issues. So anxiety, depression, those kind of things. Uh, really, really good with that. Chronic pain, a lot of the stuff that we see as well. Um, so headaches, those kind of things. Uh, and uh, balance issues. So I've got a couple clients right now really working with vertigo and balance problems. And it's just, it's amazing to see because vertigo for, especially for one is just, if you've never experienced it, I mean, it's debilitating, it's awful. And you know, you can't see it from the outside looking in, but I mean, person's world literally feels like it's just spinning as they're sitting there or, or walking. And uh, so that one too is really rewarding because usually it changes fairly quickly. Yeah, that's the thing with a lot of like with the brain stuff. Mm-hmm. Say you hurt your, like you said at the beginning, you hurt your ankle, you mm-hmm. can kind of tell because you start getting a limp. Yep. You hurt something, your arm hurts, you can tell because you got to like fold it up or whatever. Mm-hmm. With the brain, you really can't tell until starts stuff later. And with that too, I mean, since we're in Colorado, I kind of want to get your take. What's, you know, everyone's like the medical marijuana, they got all this, the marijuana, and now we got mushrooms, all this. Are those things actually like really helping or is it just kind of like, a pharmaceutical push I think it depends how you use it one from what I've seen with the marijuana stuff um, it actually so again back to the cognitive decline piece it actually accelerates it depending how much you're using it and how long you're using it uh, so I'm not a big fan of it in terms of using it um, much for anything because it just it wrecks your brain over time and it creates this dependency piece and people argue oh marijuana is not addictive i'm like all right well then stop using it for two weeks and and see if you can and a lot of them that are chronic users don't pun intended there um, <laughs> so what we see in the brain with marijuana usage is uh, you have different brainwave states let me back up the train here so as we're looking at the brain and how it functions think of like an old school radio dial so you've got high energy frequency brain waves and you got low frequency brain waves. So if we dial it down all the way to the right, you have what's called beta. Beta is your active awake and alert stress brain. If you dial it down, now we have alpha. Alpha is this awake but relaxed flow state. Dial it down again, now we're into theta. This is light sleep and this is deep relaxation. This is also in your sleep cycles where you process and catalog and organize information. And this is where you store short-term, long-term memories. Dial it down further. Now we're in delta. This is deep sleep. Your deep, uh, regenerative, restorative sleep. This is where your body physiologically heals. So with marijuana, what we will see is in this alpha bandwidth, we'll see it slow down alpha to these low alpha states. And this is where you start to get cognitive inefficiencies and problems with cataloging and organizing information because marijuana also interrupts REM sleep cycles. 
So people that smoke a lot of marijuana are now going to be more prone to that dementia, Alzheimer's type problem because they're not getting the REM sleep that they need. They're not cataloging and organizing information and it's slowing their brain down. So the, as you get older, your brain naturally is going to slow down like everything else. But the more you use that, the more you're going to artificially and slow your brain down even faster. So I'm not a big fan of it. Like once I learned all this stuff, I was like, dude, I'm never touching that again. Like as, as good as maybe it makes you feel um, and all that kind of fun stuff, you know, in the moment or a couple times, it's okay. You're not going to hurt yourself. But I'm talking about the usage. You the know, daily usage or daily something. Daily usage, every single day. People are like, oh, if I don't smoke, I can't sleep. Like, okay, you got you got other problems and you need to address those versus just using this, again, as a mask for it. Um, and again, better living through chemistry really still hasn't been shown to, to work. So you can use a pharmaceutical, you can use marijuana, it's still the same action. You're just using a different tool. Yeah, because I think it's just uh, you're stimulating the brain, so it's just like it's yeah. it's altering your your state of mind. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people use it for for like pain, mm -hmm. for pain management and stuff like that. So would like like I don't know, like CBD oil be a better alternative? I think so because I haven't seen it affect the brain in the same ways because it doesn't have the psychoactive THC in there. So I don't think it affects the brain in the same way, uh, but CBD, the big important thing with that is just making sure that it's clean because the majority of the CBD uh, oils and stuff out there extract them through a butane process. So using butane to get the oil from the plant. So unfortunately, most of the CBD oils that you're going to be consuming, if they're not really high quality and clean, you're also getting butane into your body too, which is not good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Doesn't, sound, doesn't sound too good. No. So what about like the... Because we're talking about like altering the state of mind, like mm -hmm. we're going. What effect does alcohol have on it? Because so, I, because yeah. like marijuana is legal now. Alcohol, people are like it's it's legal. It's mm -hmm. good. Like sure. it should be good. But it's altering your state of mind. We're t we're talking about like being able to control your state of mind, not mm -hmm. just alter it essentially. Right. Yeah, well, alcohol is going to be a depressant, right? So it's going to depress the nervous system and it's going to shut down more of the the frontal lobe activity. That's why the people drink start to do really silly things because they're shutting down these executive centers and that what used to sound like a bad idea now it doesn't really sound like a bad idea anymore because you don't have that wisdom center working as well uh, let me get another beer or two and then we'll talk exactly. then we'll see how right? good yeah, yeah. Then we'll see how it goes <laughs> Hell, man, i'm not gonna jump off that roof yet but hey, give me another beer and then we'll talk about it right yeah. so that's that's what happens with that it also is going to affect motor centers so your cerebellum which is responsible for motor learning and movement um, it's really it's really going to affect those that's why police officers when they pull you over they make you do like the hands and nose and touch your nose and stuff like that it's a cerebellar test that's why they look at your balance and everything too. That's why it's really dangerous to to drive. Obviously, one because you don't have the judgment there to say, oh, it's not. I can I can handle going 20 over the speed limit." Well, you also have impairment in your motor function too. So that's why it's really dangerous for that. But in terms of affecting your states and those kind of things, um, yeah, again, it's going to. Um, and over time, it's going to have much more detrimental effects. I think that's been well discussed. But again, everything in moderation, everything in balance. You know, it's okay to have a couple of, of drinks, I think, on the weekend or something like that. Because especially if you're doing it with friends or family, you're partaking in something that's way more healthy than anything else. You're fellowshipping with your, your you know, with other people. And that's super important because we're social creatures. So if you're out having a couple of drinks with your friends or with your family or your whoever, and you're out doing that and you're connecting with other people, I think that's way, way more powerful than all the supposed negative health effects that come from it. Yeah, the key thing that they said is in moderation. I don't think that I don't think that people do it in moderation, honestly. Yeah. And I, and I'm asking you this because uh, when I used to be younger, I mean, you have a couple of drinks and you're you're up at early the next day, like mm -hmm. nothing happened, 
think like now what I've noticed, you know, I'm working a lot. We're busy, you know, we're working out and stuff. If I have like a couple, like I'm saying, a couple drinks mm-hmm. will slow me down. Yep. And I don't, I mean, me personally, I don't want to slow down. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to keep, keep going fast. Like it, so it slows me down. So that's why I don't really drink as much anymore. Sure. Because it slows me down too much. And you know? yeah, understandable. So it's just, it's just, it's just like interesting once you actually see the the stuff kind of behind, behind all the stuff. Like they're like, oh, it's illegal. It should be good, but not really. I think. So, what? I, I was just gonna say. So when you look at like, when you look at alcohol and like marijuana, mm-hmm. they're like everything in moderation. You know, it's better. But then, um, for like long term usage, is there one that's better than the other, or are they both pretty bad? Because like, for one, like alcohol's more socially accepted more widely accepted they got commercials on tv all the time sure um so like more people tend to do that starting at a like younger age and keep keep going mm-hmm. but then marijuana maybe just because it has that that stigma of like it being a drug mm-hmm. people won't really like use it as much as, as alcohol so what's what's your take on that on oh, long term so are we saying somebody's using it in moderation for long periods of time um yeah yeah in, in moderation and then also like a chronic user so I guess the hard part with smoking stuff is that in itself, right? When you're smoking things, you are ingesting a harmful carcinogen into your body. So you're smoking something, it's being burned, and now it's going to damage lung tissue. So if you are going to consume marijuana, I always recommend people vape, don't smoke, because you're not going to have the issues with a lot of the carcinogens and destroying lung tissue and that kind of stuff. And that's the problem with people that smoke cigarettes and cigars and that kind of thing is they have you know, the emphysema and the breakdown of the alveoli in the lungs and the O2, CO2 exchanges. You know, so if you vape, you're not going to have the same kind of damage with that. So if you're going to do it long-term, short-term, that's always my recommendation to people is vape it, don't smoke it. Um, in terms of what's going to have a, um, a more healthier detrimental effect, um, I really just think it's how you use it. So again, if you're a person who wants to light up once a week, I think that's totally okay. You know, I think if you're a person who wants to have a drink you know, on the weekend or something, I think it's okay. Now, just make sure you're balancing that out with other health development activities uh, along the way. So if you're a smoker, make sure you're getting cardiovascular exercise to be able to offset some of that. And again, you're vaping it, not smoking it. Um, but I think it's just, it's really going to depend on the usage of it and how it's really going to damage you and, and what other activities and what other choices are you making to, to develop your health, not break it down. So everything in moderation Huge. with... You know, the still taking care of yourself and, and stuff, especially for like long term stuff. Yeah, I mean, we're we're part of this world, right? So everything in this world naturally is going to break down, right? That's just the nature of the the laws of this world. You know, you look at you create a building, and if you don't take care of it, it's naturally going to fall in and break in on itself, right? Gravity's going to destroy it, the elements, and everything else. There's these universal forces out there that are naturally trying to break everything down. It's not that they're they're mean, so to speak. They're not, you know, out there trying to get you. It's just that's the natural part of life. You have destruction, you have creation. Same thing with our body. Our body is naturally in a state of this constant development and breakdown. And the choices and stuff that you're making are naturally going to push yourself in one way or another. You're either going to slow that process down by making more healthy decisions or you're going to accelerate it by making poor decisions. Is yeah, it, yeah. Isn't like vaping worse than just smoking it? Because like people, naturally, because people, I mean, the argument people say is like, it's like, I guess, electrical stuff. So it's, I don't know. 
Or they got like different flavors of it too, so it's like. I'm sorry, I'm not talking about vaping in terms of the jewels and candies and stuff like that. I'm talking about vaping and just having a, in terms of the temperature of how you're activating it. That's what I mean. So, correct. Thank you for that correction. Okay. No, no, not talking about that kind of stuff, so to speak, with all the, the liquid candies and watermelon flavor and those kind of things. Yeah. That's even worse than smoking. No, I'm talking about the temperature in which that you're actually activating the stuff. So I think smoking is somewhere around like. Uh, with fire, it's like what, like uh, 1,200 degrees or something versus vaping is at like 400. So you're activating the ingredients of the plant, but you're not um, turning it into ash. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I mean by it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> someone's going to listen to this and just take that little oh, clip right, out. Yeah. Oh, vaping. Vaping's <laughs> good. Vaping's cool. It's all good. Yeah. So before you smoke a joint, go do your research. Exactly. <laughs> and what's, So now, now here in Colorado also, mm-hmm. they got the, I mean... I don't know how much more trends we're going to begin of stuff. They got the mushrooms. Yep. I guess they call them, it's microdosing, so it's mm-hmm. okay now. But like, what, what, <laughs> what, what, uh, what effect do psychedelics mushrooms actually have on somebody? Well, yeah, what, what's, what's going on in the brain when that's actually... Yeah, that's an interesting thing because I'm still researching some of that too of what's going on. As far as I can understand, again, you're, you're activating... And you're shutting off some of the stress centers in the brain, from what it sounds like. So the lower brain centers, your limbic system, and those kind of things that are responsible for our fight-or-flight responses. So you're kind of shutting those off, but there's still a lot of research being done on, like, what the heck is actually happening? Because it seems like you're activating more of the, the frontal lobe parts of the brain, and that's where you're able to detach from some of these situations. That's why people that, that do these um, psychedelic drugs are able to get that perspective, so to speak. And that's why it seems to be really effective for, like, PTSD and they're, they're able to get some perspective from the situation and kind of um, just have a break from it for a second. So instead of these intrusive thoughts being there all the time, they have a brief period where they can take a breath from it, put it on pause, sort of process it, so to speak, and then deal with it. Um, now, in terms of microdosing, I'm not a big fan of it, only from what I've seen, because it, it, the way that it's used is, is no different than taking an antidepressant in my mind. You know, I've heard people talk about, oh, as long as I take my, my microdosing every day, my depression stays away. But you have to take them every day. But you take it every day. I'm like, hey, what's the difference between that and antidepressant then? Outside of maybe it's a little easier on your liver. I mean, that's it. So I don't understand that argument and that thought process for it. Now, the, the discussion going into psychedelics and those kind of things and how can it be used for it, I'm really interested and fascinated in where it's going to go. Um, so curious what it can do for people. Um, you know, again, you hear positive and negative stories all across the board for it. So I don't think, again, it's for everybody. And anytime somebody says that something can help cure or fix anything for everyone, they're lying to you, run the other way, right? Because nothing's going to work for everybody. Yeah, that, that's how usually, I think that's how a lot of people usually get started on something. They mm-hmm. have a friend, you know, hey, like, sure. I have, hey, I know this, my friend's cousin mm-hmm. did this and it worked out amazing for him. Sure. Next thing you know, you're on a trip and you, you think you're going to fucking die. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, well, but or or I heard Joe Rogan talk about it and it it's cool. Just, yeah, just because yeah, Joe Rogan it talks de- about it. It just depends who you're listening to. It depends where the information's coming from. Exactly. But I think that's what's kind of. I think it can be stuff like that be, can be kind of dangerous just because people say like it's legal, so it's okay, it's safe. That's what I think that goes on through people's head because mm-hmm. they don't want to like you said they don't want to sit around and do the research. Exactly. What's actually happening? Mm-hmm. Because I think it's. It puts, it puts, like you said, it's not for everybody, and I think it puts them in a different state of mind. 
and I think the important thing that you said is like it's not for everybody because mm-hmm. you're gonna have to deal with stuff that's gone in the past and some people are probably aren't ready to deal with stuff in the past probably not no and one of the big thing one of the big things we'll see in the brain like so we do a lot of, of brain mapping and brain scans in the office and one of the big things that we'll see with people especially with severe emotional trauma in our brain scans are trauma markers so we're looking at real specific brain patterns that are there um, and if it's present then we know okay we ask the question hey if you had some kind of severe emotional trauma in your past the answer is almost always yes. Something has been there. Their brain has perceived some kind of trauma that's still holding on to. And when that is present and it's there, it's also going to affect the resiliency and the stress tolerance centers of the brain, which is going to make them more prone to, again, those breakdown pieces and that lack of adaptability. And specifically what we're looking at in the, in the brain is this, what's called an alpha response. So when your eyes are open, we're looking at that alpha brain wave, that, remember, awake, focus and flow kind of state. We're looking at what happens with that from eyes open to eyes closed back to eyes open. And what should happen, what we see with people, is that alpha should go up when the eyes are closed and then come back down when the eyes are open. And when that's not happening, it means the brain is basically trying to keep a lid on this event that's happened in the past because it says, look, I don't want to deal with it. I want to handle and process this. When you have, when you have your eyes closed, it wants to like handle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it, that will, what's called, it's called a blunted alpha response. And so we'll see that in people and then it just shows like, hey, their brain's trying to keep a lid on something that's there. And so does that happen kind of like when we're sleeping, I guess? Correct. Yeah. So we all have these natural innate, you know, psycho uh, analytical mechanisms in our body. Like we all can handle and deal with stress and trauma. We all have the capacity and capability to do that. Uh, unless, again, it's beyond our point of adaptability. Right? So think about, you know, a Navy SEAL has way more adaptability in situations than I do. You know, they're going to go into a situation where guys are shooting and fighting and stuff like that. And they're probably going to, you know, they can walk away from that and be okay. Not all of them will, but they have a greater potential to do that than I would, for sure. I, I don't have training to go into a war zone and be able to take people out, but they do. And so that training and that resiliency piece is increased in them. So depending on the human being and on the person, the more stress resilient somebody has, the more adaptability that they have, the more they can tolerate, right? So I guess would it be better just to keep, I guess, uh, like in a controlled environment, like stress your body so you can kind of be getting used to it? Correct, yeah. I mean, you want to be able to push. And and again, you want to train your body. You want to be able to push and be able to um, increase your your tolerance and your health to do these sort of things. And there's lots of different ways you can do that. I mean, like I said, we... Uh, we use what's called brain driving in the office to retrain some of these dysfunctional patterns. And what will happen with people is we'll start to increase this alpha response. And what's naturally going to happen with people is they're going to start to process that emotional trauma in their brain. 99% of people will do it, in their, do it in their sleep. And what typically happens is they'll start having really vivid, colorful dreams. And they'll start to you know, experience, potentially re-experience some of that trauma that happened. Um, but then it no longer negatively affects them. So what that means is now their brain starts to have this feeling and sense of ease because they're no longer activating those stress defense mechanisms. And they can finally have like a moment of quiet and peace. Because I, I read a book a while back ago. It was about the brain, but they're talking about uh, like especially with kids, there's a certain time, like you're saying, the, like your REM sleep, the, the sleep cycles, mm-hmm. that there's a certain time, you know, when you're some, your subconscious, like if you have music, it's getting the music, the noises around it. Mm-hmm. So it was, it, was, it, was, it was talking about like talking positive stuff to like say your kids mm-hmm. in that stage of them. So that way when they wake up, their subconscious absorbed it. Like saying like, hey, I can do this. I can do great stuff. Mm-hmm. 
like they actually start believing it is that actually i'm just talking i'm just thinking because you're talking about like sleep when when you're sleeping is when you're absorbing i guess stuff like that not really absorbing it i think they've there's a lot of um programs and stuff out there that have been sold like oh like the baby einstein stuff right like play einstein or play mozart while your kid is sleeping and they'll be a genius and research really hasn't shown that that works i mean when you're sleeping you're not necessarily absorbing information from the outside you're processing stuff internally and so that okay. you're talking about you're talking about your REM sleep states and that's that theta brainwave state where you're processing information and that's part of where this emotional stuff is processed too and again if, if you're smoking or stuff like that if you're using marijuana you're not doing part of that so you're not you're banking up all of that REM, uh, and you're not processing not stuff processing. So it's really important. So again, we do a lot of that in our sleep. And that's why sleep is really, really important. One of the things we talk about most in the office is that, is how to have good sleep quality and how to, and what happens in some of these certain stages. What about like in, because you said when you have your eyes closed, usually a lot of that stuff happens more. But what about people that do like uh, hypnosis or hypnotic states? Mm -hmm. What's interesting is we'll actually, they'll see and... Some people may have experienced this, especially if they've been through, just say, you know, a really tough situation. Uh, they try and sit down and do some kind of hypnosis or meditation or like quieting, and it actually makes them more anxious. And because what's happening is they're they're trying to stimulate the their brain is starting to go into this stimulation of processing the stuff, and it creates friction and it creates this agitation and it creates this unease, and it's turning on these stress systems. So it's actually one of the worst things you can do for them is like, oh, hey, like lay down and let's do a look, a meditation on this because it actually can make it worse if it's not guided and done appropriately. Good people actually kind of, I mean, I don't know if that's kind of in like your realm, but like control people through hypno, hyp, uh, hypnosis state. They could, I think so. I've never done it, so I'm not sure. Because I watched a movie. Remember that movie we watched, Eric? Hypnosis or... It's not hypnosis. Oh, yeah. it's uh, no, I think it is hypnosis. On, is it? Uh, I think it was on Netflix. I think it was on Netflix. So it was a guy, you know, every time he would say, like, certain words, you know, she would, like, do stuff and she wouldn't remember what happened. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm just going back because I'm actually reading a book that, remember I was telling you, the chaos book. Uh -huh. And that's kind of that, how that whole thing is. Like, he would just kind of control them. I mean, that's the kind of another rabbit hole but he would just kind of control them too so it's like is that possible you think for people to actually do or is it just i think mind control is possible sure like we joked about you know in the old cia program mk ultra i think it's i think it's possible um is it possible for everybody i have no idea but i certainly think yeah there's um there's some sense to that and i mean think about mind control and programming that's all commercials are right yeah repetition as a teacher of mine always joked about repetition penetrates even the dullest of minds so you just have these commercials on repeat and showing you again and again, hey, go drink a Pepsi. Go drink a Pepsi. Go got, drink a Pepsi. They got zero and calories now. So zero calories. It's sugar-free now. And they just keep, you know, plugging away at these messages. And over time, you know, you, know, you go to the grocery store and you're standing there and you're like, man, I really want a Pepsi. So, yeah, I mean, there's some sense of it. I think that's out there and that's true in terms of, you know, can you hold up the, the spinning spiral and, like, hypnotize somebody? I don't know if it's quite there at this moment. It's pretty, yeah, it's, it's pretty much there now. They just got the, the, the Pepsi can spinning around or the Coke can mm -hmm. or whatever they want. Because right. I don't know. I mean, with uh, like the pharmaceutical drugs we were talking about, mm -hmm. there's only two countries in the world that you can actually uh, advertise. Advertise. Yep. And it's uh, the U.S. and New Zealand. Yep. So it's 
pretty crazy, like you're saying. Yeah. And guess what country has the highest usage of pharmaceuticals in the world? The U.S. The U.S. I think yeah. it, I, I just heard, I don't remember the stat, I'm not going to say, but it was ridiculously high compared to everybody else. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculously high. Yeah, it's something, I, I, I think it was something the tune of like, you know, we have 5% of the world's population, but we consume like 65% of the world's drugs. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, so, something like yeah. this. Some the stat was it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, it's huge. And like people, you can take it in all kinds of different directions. I mean, you think about the uh, people always in this country. We'll talk about the the Mex or excuse me, the, uh, the the Mexican drug problem, right? It's the cartels and stuff that are pushing stuff across the border. And you hear about like the fentanyl that's coming across now and how sad all that is. But on the other side of the of the border, they're looking north and saying it's the American drug problem. I mean, you guys are the ones that are consuming all the stuff. If there wasn't all this huge consumption of it, guess what? There wouldn't be a market. There was a market mm-hmm. for it. There wouldn't. There it exactly. wouldn't exist. Yeah. Exactly. So, so what do you think with like all them like, <clears throat> like the U.S. like advertising, you know, pharmaceutical drugs, and other countries aren't advertising it, but then so the people tend to not look for the easy way out. I guess for when they got like a disease or, or something, they tend to just actually fix the problem at its roots. I think it's a a huge question that you're asking because you're 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 diving into cultures and you're diving into actions and everything like that i mean in in europe i think this is a great idea you know they have holiday right you take like a month off and it's totally acceptable for you to just take a month off of work and just go enjoy your life you know that's that's a european culture in america we don't have that kind of stuff. It's a very go, go, go. It's a very driven society. We run at a very different pace than the rest of the world. Um, and there's, ramific- there's ramifications for that, right? I was just listening to a podcast coming in here. There, you know, there's, there's a cost for convenience. So we have a very convenient society. We have a very driven society. And um, there's a cost to all that. You know, there's, there's benefits of it too. I mean, we have the most abundant, prosperous nation on the planet. So all of our work has paid off, so to speak, because we have all this prosperity everywhere. Um, but at the same time, there's a cost to it as well. So in terms of, you know, is it, I, I don't think it's okay that there's direct to consumer advertising for this stuff. You know, go ask your doctor to take this drug to help with this problem that also has these 20 side effects from it. You know, I don't think that's okay. I don't think people should be making those decisions and telling the doctor, this is the drug that I want because they're going to go to that doctor and I want this drug. Well, no, I don't think you need that drug. Well, then they'll just go to another doctor. Some doctors, I mean, some, some doctors, doctors will just, just give, give it to you. Yeah, some will and some won't. You know, there's good ones yeah. out there too. I'm not yeah. going to go and bash all of them and oh, say yeah. that. No, for um, sure. You know, there's, there's good ones out there that will say no and they're going to, they're going to practice the art of doctoring. But, you know, I just had a friend on Facebook post something yesterday that was like, here's my, it was like her sister's, um, her sister's a doctor and it's like, here's her schedule. Um, in her clinic today and it was like at three o'clock she has a new patient at 315 she has two new patients and an urgent care patient at 330 she has two new patients and a well baby check and it's like how is a doctor supposed to keep up keep up with all that see people educate and get all this information and everything that they need to make the correct decision it's like us right now i mean we've been going on for a bit now and it's like i still don't know i know the stuff about the brain and we've been here for a while, so it's yeah. like, how do you expect to go into an appointment and know everything in five minutes? Right. And understand that it's a, that everything is a process, right? Everything is a process. So healing is a process, disease is a process. So if you want to get, if you're sick and you want to get well, it's going to be a process to do that. If you're well and you're going to get sick, it's going to take a process to do that. You know, outside of certain events, physical trauma and those kind of things, um, those are different. But most of it's a process. It's going to take time to break down. It's going to take time to build up. That's it. 
Yes. So what's I guess after like the whole thing, like what's the what's the number one thing I guess you recommend for people to start, like to get started to be try to live a healthier, healthier life, brain wise. Take, take responsibility for your actions. You know, like we have to everybody. We have to take responsibility for what we do. Right. It's not about genes. It's not about your circumstances or anything else. It's about you know the actions that you're taking every single day and just take responsibility for it. So if you want to have a healthier brain. Uh, start to take responsibility for it. Start to take responsibility for what you're putting into your body. Um, if you don't know what should you be eating, there's a million resources out there on the internet that are free that you can start to learn. Social media, yeah. You Social can be, media. You can start scrolling through the, the positive stuff. That, yeah. Or YouTube University. YouTube, exactly. YouTube University. I by the it. way, we'll put. By the way, we'll put. We'll put his link down so you can get on his university. There you go. <laughs> so you can start there. So start, you know, absorbing that all that free information that's there. Um, start with that. Start learning what you need to do to be healthy. If you don't know, you don't know where to start. Then find an expert. You know, like myself. If, if you're looking to try more and learn more about what your where your brain and how it's functioning. If you're, you know, stuck with metabolic problems, go find a good functional nutritionist or functional med practitioner and and have them guide you in that process. And it's just, you know, it's going to be a learning journey, but you have to take responsibility for it and move, move every single day. Yeah, be active for sure. And where, so, where can people find you? What's Thank the easiest way for people to contact you? Easiest way is to go to our website, wpoptimalliving.com. So, again, our practice name is Wild and Precious Optimal Living. We're co located in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Uh, so, easiest way is the website. You can send us a contact form there. You can find us on Instagram at Wild Precious Optimal Living. Uh, we also post stuff on there as well. And again, our YouTube page, that is our most popular right now, uh, Wild and Precious Optimal Living on YouTube. I put up stuff there. <clears throat> Once a week, talking about everything from overcoming anxiety, uh, talking about brain fog. You know, we're always pushing stuff out. Yeah, yeah. So, guys, if you guys need something in that space, I believe everybody should. Like Sam, Doctor Sam here, he he told us he broke down pretty much all this, so he's well educated and 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 all the and the whole brain function. You know what it does to your body, positive and negative effects. Mm -hmm. So, what do you think, Eric? Yeah, I mean, like the thing you said about responsibility. I mean, that's. I feel like the biggest thing, because that's like an ongoing theme here we have on the podcast, is just taking responsibility for your actions. And then once you do, then you can start taking the steps to improve yourself. Absolutely. That, that's, you know, very, very important for that. But yeah, I just, I just wanted to thank you again for, for driving out here and yeah. coming on here and, you know, sharing us, share, sharing a little bit about like what, what you have to, uh, about like different diseases, what people can be doing to, to prevent them and, and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. And, and just to educate the people more, because like we always say too, I think uh, people lack education. So it's like, I appreciate you coming on here, you know, helping us get some education out there for people. Absolutely. Well, doctor means teacher. Right? So the first and foremost, we have to teach. Yes, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so with all that being said, you know, thank you again. And uh, just remember that an act of rebellion is to question. Thanks, guys. We'll see you later. Yeah, yeah. Underrated, underrated, we the underdogs, underestimated. Yeah.